We are in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just a continuation from our last week's uh, message. Last week we were talking and we've been doing kind of a, as I said last week, kind of an unofficial series, uh, Badia and I, on the Word of God and um, how, we, how uh, uh, we deal with the Word of God in our life. And there's been some events that have happened during the time, uh, uh, during our time, that have really uh, made me reflect on who are we as the body of Christ? And what's our responsibility as the body of Christ? And, and where do we get our playbook from during these times? And it's obviously the Word of God. And we looked at last week, and I'm going to be saying last week a lot, but we really mean two weeks ago. So when you hear last week, it means two weeks, all right? But wait, because I get confused myself. We looked two weeks ago uh, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Paul was giving his charge to Timothy. We talked about a little bit how uh, uh, it's always interesting to see the last thing someone says. Uh, Paul knew his time was almost up and he was about to go. And in his last days, he reached out to this young man named Timothy. And he told him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last part of this letter, the final thing he wanted him to know. And he says, I charge thee therefore before God, verse 1, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing of his kingdom, verse 2, preach the word. So his command, his admonishment, admonishment to uh, 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 Timothy in his last hour was to preach the word. And we talked about what that meant. We talked about how the word of God, I saw this, it's the systematic and orderly exposition of the plans and purposes of God for lost humanity centered around Christ. That's a lot of words. So I'll say it again. The word is the systematic, I mean there's some system to it. Orderly exposition of two things, the plans of God and the purpose of God for lost humanity. And it has to be centered around Christ. And that's what Paul said to Timothy. And he's telling us, what do we do in this last day? Preach the word, the word, the word, the word. We looked last week at uh, three metaphors that the Bible used to uh, express what the word is. Anybody remember what the three were? Uh-oh. We looked at three. Different metaphors of the Bible will describe the Bible as being the word of God. The first one was fire. Yeah, the first one was fire. It says the word of God goes out like fire. The second was a sword. Okay, sword was one, sharp power to a sword. And who remember the third one? Hammer. Very good. Bible described, we have verses to show how the Bible described the, the, uh, the, the, the scripture as fire, able to go out to destroy things that shouldn't be in our lives. Hammer, able to go out and to smash up things that shouldn't be in our lives. Uh, 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 and we talked last week about the importance of how we preach the word of God. And that was in verse 2. Preach the word how, Paul? Be instant, in season and out of season, meaning when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Uh, 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 when it's easy and when it's not easy, when it's fun and when it's not fun, when it's asked for and when it's not asked for. Paul said we should preach the word in season and out of season, rebuke, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all our suffering and all doctrine. We spent a lot of time last week talking about those words there. One thing to know if the word of God is really being preached. When you listen to somebody preach, there should always be some type of moral crisis. Uh, whenever the word of God is properly communicated, it should confront us with a moral crisis so we are compelled to choose righteousness. That's what the power of the word of God. Whenever the word of God is preached, listen for, okay, where is my choice? Where am I in my life supposed to choose righteousness instead of unrighteousness? 
Where am I supposed to line up with the path that God says versus the path that God tells me not to do? That is what we listen for. That is what true uh, uh, preaching is. And we talked about the two different ones, what reproof was and rebuke, how reproofing has to do with the mind, understanding that this is wrong because it's the Bible says it's wrong. That's the power that we have in the Word of God, that we can look at the Word of God, and the Word of God gives us distinctions between what we're supposed to do and what we are supposed to do. The other part, rebuke, has to do with the heart. That's the conviction of guilt, conviction of the sinner of the sin. And so preaching should be twofold. It should be that this is what the Bible says, and then it should be like this is how you live, and it doesn't match up with what the Bible says. And we should be uh, confronted with that on a daily basis. Paul goes on to say, uh, this is where we're getting in today, uh, uh, verse 3 and 4. Uh, uh, not only that, but at the end of verse 2, with all our suffering of patience and with doctrine. And we talked a little bit about doctrine, how the doctrine is the teaching. We have to have the teaching of the Word of God. And what's important with the teaching of the Word of God, why doctrine is so important, because it has to do with instruction with the intent to influence the understanding to thereby shape the will. And we spent a little bit of time on that last week, talking about those two things. Instruction or doctrine is instruction or teaching that gives me uh, 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 the intent to influence the understanding and thereby shape my will. And so two words there, understanding, my understanding needs to be influenced so that my will can be shaped. And we look at the definition of those two words. So we have knowledge. Everybody know what knowledge is. Knowledge is facts. So the one plus one is two. That's, that's knowledge. Fire is hot. That's knowledge. Uh, 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 when we look at the scripture, the scripture is full of knowledge. Different things. The Lord is this. Uh, man is this. Uh, you should do this. You shouldn't do this. The Bible is filled with knowledge. But our extent is not just knowing what the Bible says. Not just knowing what the Bible says. The extent of our responsibility as the body of Christ is to take that knowledge and turn it into understanding. And what understanding is, is to be able to think about something and use that concept of it to make the right decision. That's what understanding is. The ability to think and to yield, I like what it says, is to yield to the influence of what it says. That's what understanding is. I have to yield, give up. Yield means to give up. I have to give up to the influence of what I know. And so if I know that, that uh, uh, the top of that stove is hot, that's great knowledge. Okay, it's on, I see it glowing red. That's the knowledge. The understanding is me yielding to the influence of that and not touching it. Okay, that's where the understanding comes from. And so, the, what's important about doctrine is that doctrine is supposed to be used to influence my understanding, therefore to shape my will. Will, again, we talked about last week, was, uh, uh, it's a part of mind which selects the strongest desire. That's what it is. It's a part of my mind that selects or chooses the strongest desire. That's so why I have a desire, I can do this, 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 and this. My will chooses whichever desire is strongest. And so if we have the will, which is the ability to choose the strongest desire, and we have understanding, let's go back to the definition of doctrine. Doctrine is teaching or instruction 
with the intent to influence the understanding to therefore shape my will. My will, my decisions, what I choose to do is only guarded or governed by my understanding. The application of the knowledge that I know. That's the only way. So I wonder why I make wrong decisions. Well, the reason I make wrong decisions is because my will is lined up not with the understanding that I know. I might have some knowledge, but I haven't applied or turned knowledge to understanding, meaning I haven't used that knowledge and yield to the influence of that knowledge. Therefore, my will begins to choose the right things. That's why doctrine is so important, because without doctrine, I don't get the knowledge, which will allow me to get the understanding, which means that my will is all jacked up now, and all my decisions and all my desires are not lined up with what the scripture says. That's why doctrine is so important. That's why teaching is so important. So basically, biblically driven decisions based on biblically driven desires, based on a biblically driven will, based on biblical driven understanding, which is based on healthy, sound doctrine. That's how it all lines up. Turn with me to Psalms 119, 130. We talked about it last week, but I wasn't able to turn to it because of the time. So we're going to actually turn to it today. Psalms 119, 130. We know what the longest chapter in the Bible is. Psalms 119. Yes, Psalms 119, 130. Talking about what's the purpose of doctrine? What's the purpose of teaching? What's the purpose of me sitting down and learning the word of God and hearing the word of God? The purpose of that is that is what I need to influence my understanding. Once I have a biblical understanding, now my will is shaped toward biblical things. And once my will is shaped toward biblical things, my desires, and when I choose, the desires that I choose will be line, will line up biblically. Psalms 119, 130 says, The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. So when you need understanding, when you need wisdom, which is another term for understanding, we go to the word of God. That's where wisdom comes from. That's where understanding comes from. Flip back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And so Paul says, listen, uh, 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 Timothy, I charge you, preach the word, in season, out of season, rebuke, reprove, with uh, patience, teaching doctrine. But then he goes on to explain what kind of doctrine in verse 3. For the time will come, and by the way, I got a King James, that's why I'm, I'm feeling very King James today. For some reason, I pull up a King James. Uh, and the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And so Paul says, listen, there's a couple of types, different types of doctrine out there. He said, there's going to come a time when they, and who's the they he's talking about? This was interesting. So Paul was talking to Timothy. Timothy's job was to go and preach in the body of Christ. So he's preaching to people in the body of Christ. He's preaching to people in the church. He's preaching to church folk. And Paul tells Timothy that the time will come when church folk will not endure sound doctrine. Now that's, that blows my mind. He ain't talking about heathen folk. He's talking about church folk. 
Paul said there will come a time when church folk will not endure. They won't, don't want to listen to. They won't want to hear sound doctrine. The word there for sound is do it healthy, good for you, clean, correct. There will come a time when they free from error, when the church folk will not want to hear sound doctrine. I don't know. Are we there yet? Pretty close. If we ain't there already. They do not want to hear sound doctrine, but rather, but after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So what I like about verse 3 is that he gives the contrast. He's going to let you know. He, he puts a, a, a divider there, and he says, there's going to come a time when church folks will want to hear sound, healthy instruction, healthy, free from error teaching. But, so the but means he's coming with a contrast. He's going to tell you what's the opposite of sound, healthy, free from error, teaching of the word of God. He said, but after their own lusts. So, 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 so what Paul says is that the opposite of sound, healthy doctrine is doctrine that, or, or teaching that appears to our own lusts. That's our own desires. Stuff that's agreeable to me. Stuff that's acceptable to me, something to my liking. Sound doctrine, healthy, and then we have the desirable, pleasing, something to my liking. It's easy on the ear. Paul says it's going to come a time when people are going to, the church folk are not going to hear the sound doctrine, which is not easy on the ear, which is not pleasing. Why? Because it takes this the word of God, and it puts it up as a mirror, and it, it reflects you, and you look at this and say, oh no, I'm not this. So it doesn't feel good when you hear the word of God. When you talk about what the Bible says, what I should and shouldn't do. So Paul says, you know, sometimes they want to get away from sound doctrine, but they want to get to this agreeable, acceptable to your liking. The word there has to do with entertainment, or entertained by pleasant sensations that leave them with good feelings about themselves. Healthy doctrine, feel good doctrine. I feel good about myself. Everything's going to be all right. Your blessings on the way. That's true. But if that's all we hear is the feel good, what's liking to me, instead of the truth of the word of God. Paul says going to come a time when that distinction is there. And he used the word, look at verse 4. He used a difference there. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables or myths. So here's the contrast again. We have sound, healthy doctrine, which Paul lies in verse 4 as the truth. And then we have this pleasing, likable, entertainment, feel-good instruction, which he lines up with the word myths. Now, the word myth is interesting there. That's not the same word for Humpty Dumpty Santa Claus. What's the myth? Santa Claus, thank you. Uh, it's not the same word like a myth, like a Santa Claus. The word there in the original language, that word myth, um, uh, 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 where's my notes? Here it is. That word myth has to do uh, not with the content of what they're saying, but it characterizes their teaching as pipe dreams. Y'all know what a pipe dream is? Yeah. Like, like, like a, a pipe dream. Like, um, uh, give me a pipe dream. Uh, one day I'm going to be a pavilionaire. Yeah. And I'm going to have 79 mansions and I'll have uh, uh, a plane for every day of the week. 
And on that, every day we got have our own plane, uh, uh, and I'll throw it away at the end of the day and get a new plane. Uh, and I have a, a, a pool, and it'll be just a money pool. And I'll swim in my money pool all day. Those are pipe dreams. Yeah. And, and what Paul says is that instead of listening to the truth, they are wanting to hear these myths or these pipe dreams or these whimsical illusions. I get the idea of a, a, a Willy Wonka in a chocolate factory. You know, you walk around and say, ah, these whimsical illusions. And Paul says what's going to happen is it's going to come a time when healthy, free from air adoption, is going to be the church folk. I want to run away from that and come to find this whimsical, pipe dream, feel-good teaching, which is opposite of the truth. What Paul says is that they, they, what happens is they want to hear God's blessings apart from confession and asking for forgiveness. See, that's the truth part. We want to hear that. They don't feel good. I'd rather hear just about the blessings of forgiveness. They want to hear about his salvation without hearing about the repentance that I must do for my sins. They want to hear about the peace apart from Met your minds be saved and taken hold and fully established. Turn to me to Isaiah 26 3. We're going to look at some words from some scripture real quick. Because there are some promises, there are some blessings that the Bible says we are supposed to understand. Okay? Paul, Paul even said in chapter 4, notice he said uh, uh, with rebuke, and, and second thing, he said with rebuke and reproof, but with encouragement also. Okay, so there are blessings, there is encouragement that as the body I'm supposed to preach. But it has to be in truth. It has to be sound. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3. Isaiah 26 3 uh, says this. Thou, talking about God, will keep him in perfect peace. That's a blessing. God's peace is available to me. Okay, but his peace, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is on thee. That's a condition. See, I can have the perfect peace of God, but in order for that, my mind has to take hold of God. Yes. I was watching a cartoon, uh, 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 um, uh, Gumball, and what's the other guy name? Yeah. And, and it's a super silly cartoon. Makes no sense. But on one of the cartoons, the guy said something about his mind and his brain actually jumped out of his head when he did something, read a book, and then jumped back in. This is something ridiculous. But you think about that, the Bible says mind stayed on me. That means my mind has taken hold of God. Yeah. Has your mind taken hold and wrapped up God yet? Because that's where peace comes. So they want to talk about the peace apart from your mind and fully established, fully associated with God. Turn to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Everybody know this one. 3, 5, and 6. You hear messages and they want to talk about God's direction without conceding my will to God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to the own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. That's a promise. That's what we have to encourage from the pulpit, that God will direct your path. You have a decision to make. You don't know what to do. The Bible says that God will direct your path. But you can't ignore the first part. In all your ways, acknowledge him. 
I have to acknowledge Christ and my ways. I have to bring him into the situation, meaning I have to forfeit me. I have to give up the me. That's the part. When we talk about sound doctrine, sound doctrine says, yes, God will direct your path once you forfeit yourself and concede your will, giving yourself all to him. Uh, 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 Psalms 37, 4 and 5. I think y'all know that one too. Psalms 37. Psalms 37. We're talking about truths versus the myths. We're talking about sound doctrine versus the feel good. Psalms uh, 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 37, 4 and 5. The Bible says, Commit thy way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Did I read four? I didn't read four. Uh, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. That's a blessing there. That's a promise that he, God, will give you the desires of your heart. What is your heart desire? But before I get the desires of my heart, verse, the top of verse 4 says, delight thyself in the Lord. See, what will happen is you don't get the miracles without him or the things of God being the source of our delight. Are the things of God the source of your delight? Are the things of God the source of your happiness? Are the things of God the source of your joy? Are the things of God the source of your pleasure? Where does your pleasure come from? Where does your happiness come from? Where does your joy come from? They need to come from the things of the Lord. David said, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you desires of your heart. Because guess what happens? Once the things of the Lord are your joy, and your satisfaction, and your excitement, then guess what your desires of your heart are going to be? The things of God. And so it's easy for him to give it to you. Sound doctrine says we have to have both. We have to look at what God says. Back with me in uh, 2 uh, Timothy chapter 4. Verse 3, for will come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts or their own desires, they shall watch this heap to themselves, teachers having itching ears. Their own desires, their strong desires. And notice, notice this is still in contrast. On this side, we have the strong, healthy uh, uh, doctrine. On this side, we have our own desires. And so what it's showing is that our own desires are in violent opposition to healthy doctrine. Our own desires are at war with healthy doctrine. We don't want to hear it. That's the plain bit of it. Our own desires, our own, we don't want to hear it. It's in opposition. Why? Because it's own. It's selfish. It's about me. It's about what makes me feel good. It won't make me feel, you know what I heard of that? It was very encouraging. Maybe it feels so good. Great. But if that's all we're listening to, and that's all the preachers saying, that's all the teaching that we hear, I just to feel good, guess what's going to happen? That's an opposition. That an enemy, that word means an enemy. It's hostility toward healthy, sound doctrine. And what happens is that there's an unwholesome longing, that desire there, an unwholesome longing for something fresh or something new or something exciting, unwholesome. And when we feed that, we, the word says, have itching ears. Now, the word there, 
has to do with, uh, 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 instead of ears, it's more like hearing. The hearing. They have itching hearing, or they are hearing, they want to have hearing that has delight. Okay? And what comes with that, what comes with this in contrast, is a corrupt will, which causes me to look for more corrupt doctrine, which will lead me to living a corrupt life. Why? Because it's not healthy. How's your spiritual diet? When I'm, when I'm trying to eat healthy, I uh, eat a lot of broccoli, you like grilled chicken, drink a lot of water, uh, what else? Eat some quinoa, how you say it? Quin quin quinoa. quinoa. Get some quinoa sometimes, some asparagus. Because I'm, I'm trying to eat healthy. And I know that by eating healthy, by intaking healthy food, my body will begin to respond to the healthy. And these little things right here, they'll start to go away. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, they'll start to go away. And then when I put my pants up in the morning, I'm like, oh, I can play with these things. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's what happens when you're eating healthy. Why? Because your body is responding to healthy food. Now, if I'm eating healthy, I don't go to McDonald's. Last night after the wedding, I went to McDonald's. It was 12 o'clock, I was starving. And I got, uh, as you notice, I'm not trying to eat healthy right now, just, just to throw it out there. Uh, I, I got a quarter pounder. They have a quarter pounder deluxe now. Wow. Thicker onions and lettuce and tomato. I did get tomato. And I replaced the ketchup with the uh, uh, Big Mac sauce. And I got a large fry. You're not supposed to eat that at 1 o'clock in the morning. You're not supposed to. It's nothing in that building that's healthy. Especially at 1 o'clock in the morning. And especially over 40 years old. All those things together, it's, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And we wonder why, I won't get too graphic, your stomach is hurting the next day when <laughs> you wake up. <laughs> because you have a quarter pound of the cheese at 1 o'clock in the morning. Because see, there's the consequences when I eat with my body things that are not healthy. There are consequences. There's results of that that makes my life sluggish. And it'll allow me to be as vibrant. It'll allow me to be as healthy, as quick, uh, as sharp as I am when I eat healthy. That's what happens when we turn away from strong or healthy doctrine, healthy instruction. And we only listen to, or we only want to hear stuff that's going to make me feel good. Whimsical, fantasy, good feeling that appeals to my desire. And then we wonder why we're spiritually sluggish. We wonder why we spiritually make the wrong decisions. We wonder why oh, I should have really told that person about Christ, but oh, they're gone now, they get a chance to. Why aren't you sharp? Why aren't we how we're supposed to be? Why? Because we're not focusing on the strong doctrine. And I think that's the healthy doctrine. And I think that's a very good example or, or, or reason to why we see the body of Christ, the church, where it is today. I was talking to our, our Brother Johnson, as a missionary, uh, a friend of our family, a friend of the family, a missionary, and he was saying, and I was wondering this too, during this crazy time, we got guys going and shooting up bar, our clubs, we got uh, cops shooting up people, we got people shooting up cops now, uh, we got two very interesting characters uh, uh, vying for the White House right now. 
don't get more detail into that. But during these crazy times, he asked the question, where are, where are, where is the spiritual leader? Who is the spiritual leader, that, that voice of righteousness in America? Where is that spiritual leader to stand up and say, okay, body, this is what we're supposed to do during these times? And he was talking on a, on a, on a main type, on a main stage type, type ordeal. And I wondered that, like, during this time, this is prime time for the body of Christ to be influential, uh, to be that voice of reason, to be, to be the one to say, hey, 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 just like um, uh, 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 in the wilderness when everybody got bitten by them snakes. You know what I'm saying? And everybody was dying and sick all around. And God told Moses to pick up one of them things, put it on the, on the thing and lift it up. And everybody turned to that and you be healed. It's like this is prime time for Christ to be exalted. And I'm wondering who is that or who are those righteous leaders? Or who, are, who is that body of Christ that's doing what it's supposed to do right now? And I don't see it on a mass scale. And I think it's because we have turned our ear away from sound doctrine and turned our preaching, our listening into a more of a feel good instead of the truth of what God said. Because right now, right now, the truth is the only thing. You got people thinking they're doing right. Oh, they're going to kill cops going to kill us? Well, I'm going to get some guns and shoot cops. No, that's not the truth. That's not what you're supposed to do. And I think right now it's prime time for the truth from the word of God to be standing up. The boss, Paul says back in verse 3, they have the itching ears. They'd like to hear teachers who give them mere pleasure and don't offend them with irritating truth that's annoying to the ears. Ah, I don't want to hear that. It's a, that's annoying. Ah, that's, ah, I don't want to hear that part. Get, give me some more feel good stuff. And I started looking at uh, itching. I don't know if anybody done a research on itching. It's quite interesting. I did WebMD and I did some study on what itching actually is. And it was quite interesting. I'd never done it before. <laughs> yeah, everybody's scratching all of a sudden. But, but the idea, and I think about it, the itching, the word there means they're burning to be, and I like this word, tiddly. They're burning to be uh, 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 aroused by some stimulation, uh, 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 by some novel error. So think about an itch. You got an itch, and my wife always gets itches on her back. What's the first thing you want somebody to do? And scratch your back, scratch your back, scratch your back. And then you scratch it. No, 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 not that. Okay. Oh, to the left, to the left. Oh, to the right. Oh, no, no, right. Ah. Oh. There it is. Right there. When that itch is there, when that irritant is there, all you want is something to scratch it. Why? Because it's something uncomfortable. So I want to scratch it, get that instant relief. That's what Paul, that's the word Paul used. Paul says they're looking for people to scratch that itch. What's that itch? Their own desire. I got my own desire. I don't want to hear the good truth stuff. I want to hear something that makes me feel good. I want to hear something that makes me think I'm okay where I am. I want to hear something that makes me think I can do what I want to do. And so I go and I find, find, oh my God, that's right there. That, oh, that's it. Ah, oh, yeah. That's what I want to hear. That's that good stuff. Oh, yeah, everything's going to be all right. No matter how I'm living, no matter what I'm doing, no matter if I'm living a life exemplifying a Christ, no matter if I'm being a salt in this world, no matter if I'm being a light in the world, I just know everything's going to be all right. And Paul said they're going to run away from healthy t- teaching. And matter of fact, he said not only are they going to run today, he said that we are, they're going to start looking and keeping upon themselves teachers who, quote-unquote teachers, who all they do is scratch their itch. That's all they do is scratch that itch. 
Paul says in verse 4, they shall turn away their hearing from the truth and shall be turned to fables. John MacArthur, uh, uh, who I love to read from time to time, said this on first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, I am convinced, and I thought this was interesting, I am convinced that most churches in, in this nation would not tolerate for two weeks strong biblical teaching that, watch this, confronted their doctrinal error, refuted that error, confronted their sin, convinced them of, I'm sorry, convicted them of sin, and then called them to obey the truth. Two weeks of just straight, that kind of Bible teaching. He said, I don't think that many churches could last that. And that's exactly what we read about, reproving, correcting, and encouraging, calling them to obey the truth. I encourage you, I encourage you to do what it says. What's truth? Truth, something is true when it agrees with reality. I like, I like that definition of truth. Something is true when it agrees with reality. I'm a male. That's reality. And so that statement, Olu is a male, is true. Now, if someone says Olu is a guitar, you have the opportunity to use objective reality to check Olu out. Does Olu have six strings coming out of the body? Does Olu have a hollow hole in the middle here? Does Olu have six things on the side that you can twist? No. So my objective reality sees that no, that's not true. So therefore, that's not true. True is what lines up with objective reality, and that's what the Bible is full of. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. The objective reality that I need to look and to understand is right here with Jesus Christ and what he is. Uh, I like the word that Paul used there for myth. It has the word with taking your hands and covering over your eyes and covering over your ears. Another definition of the word is to be dumb. Of that, what that word is. And so we use the term dumb it down. You heard that phrase? We dumbed it down. We don't want to get too high too, so we dumb it down so we understand. Paul says they're going away from the truth and they're following after these myths. We are commanded. First Timothy, turn with me one book over. We're commanded in First Timothy. What do I do? Paul says it's going to come a time when, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, Paul says it's going to come a time when the body of Christ, those that are inside the church, are going to not want to hear healthy doctrine, but would rather fill their ears and get their back scratched with the feel-good, dumbed-down, fantasized teaching. So what's my command? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. As I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge them that they teach no other doctrine. Hmm. Neither give heed to what? Myths. What's that word again? Paul says, I charge thee that they don't teach no other doctrine other than the sound true doctrine, and don't give heed to those myths and endless genealogies with minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Paul says, hey, tell the church folks, don't go out there and listen to these myths. That's what he said right here. I beseech thee that teach them 
to teach no other doctrine, neither give heed. That means don't pay attention to. Don't listen. Don't fill your ears with that feel-good, unhealthy, fantasy, whimsical, dumbed-down, pipe dream teaching. Paul says, encourage them to stay with the sound nature. Then, once I do that, when I tie myself up to God's truth, I'm able to distinguish what's broccoli and what's a quarter pound of a cheese at 12, 12 o'clock in the morning. Now I know which one is broccoli and which one is a quarter pound of cheese. And I can stay with the broccoli, the sound teaching. Our only protection against area is the word of God. And then once I do that, then my will and my desire and my decision, that whole lineup path will line up right. My decisions will now be correct decisions. Why? Because my will, which is the ability to choose decision, my will has been shaped. How do you shape your will? With understanding. That means I take the knowledge of the word of God and I apply it. I use the knowledge to influence what I do. I'm going to read this and then uh, 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 we'll close. Before I do, uh, yeah, one more verse. And Paul says, now, verse 5, now the end of the command is charity out of a pure heart. Oh, wrong time. Second Timothy, back in Second Timothy chapter 4. I'll read uh, 4 again and then go to 5. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into myths or fables. But watch thou in all things. Timothy, watch. Olu, watch. Miguel, watch. Jaden, watch. Keep your eyes open. Get focused, watching all things and do afflictions and do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. It's all about evangelism. It's all about taking this word of God to those who haven't heard. That's why we sit here. Yeah. If that was the case, once I got saved, Father, come to my heart and save change my life. I'm living in holiness. And boom! God snatched me up to heaven. I'm going Because my work is done. No, I'm still here because we, there's a world that's lost. And we are to tell people about Christ. And I can't do that if I'm over here in the field of whimsical fantasy land, chocolate, chocolate factory, teaching. And I just feel, constantly feel my mind. Now, I want to make sure, because I've been accused of being uh, uh, sometimes too strict. Okay? But I want to make sure that I'm not, I'm not saying that God does not bless you. I'm not saying that blessings don't come from God. I'm not saying that encouragement is from God. Paul said that in chapter 4. He said encouragement is part of it. Part of the preaching. But what he wanted, to, the distinction he's making is that when we come and we only give one part of the scripture, that's what a falsehood is. So whenever you hear the scripture, think about what is the desire here? What is my desire saying? Uh, I'm going to read this. Uh, uh, listen closely to it. This is um, an excerpt taken from a, a magazine. The following excerpt is taken from the Baptist Standard and is a sad example of those who turn aside to myths or to fables. I'll read this closer here. Most teenagers today who make professions of faith in Christ still do not believe that Christianity is the one true religion, according to an international Christian apologist and youth ministry expert. 75% of all kids coming to Christ today are not coming to Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
They are coming to Christ because he is the best thing that's come along so far. That they filtered through with their own experience. And as soon as something that seems better to them comes along, they're gone. Citing a survey that was done in 1999 showing that 65% of, watch this, evangelical teenagers, that means teenagers who grew up in an evangelical Bible believing, preaching, teaching, Holy Ghost filled church. 65% of evangelical teenagers believe that there is no way to determine which religion is true. McDowell, who's the author of this, said that the prevailing cultural mindset defines truth according to my personal perspective and my personal experience. McDowell describes a cultural viewpoint in vogue today that truth is not there to be discovered, truth is there to be created. For example, McDowell says, uh, many evangelical teenagers today say that the Bible is true and historically accurate because they believe it. But this belief system is based on their personal opinion, not the concept that there is an objective standard of truth outside of oneself. Today's generation, he asserted, has replaced John 3.16 as the most quoted Bible verse with Matthew 7.1. So instead of John 3, 16 being the most famous verse that people can quote, for God's love the word, he gave only God's son, and love not prayer, for have life, everlasting life. The number one verse that teenagers, evangelical teenagers quote is, God said not judge. Bible tell you shouldn't judge. Bible tell you shouldn't judge. Uh, uh, a verse that actually teaches one to judge according to God's standard as evidence of his character and nature. He said that a 1999 survey would show that 52% of evangelical church kids say the only intellectual way to live is to make the best decision you can based upon your feelings at the moment. We can't live that way. And it's our responsibility to teach our young people that truth is not depicted by what I feel. Truth is not depicted by what feels good to me. Truth is not depicted by what's nice. Truth is not depicted by what's, eh, that's okay. Truth is not depicted by, well, as long as they're not hurting nobody. Truth is not depicted by, you know what? You do your thing, I'm going to do my thing, and we just love each other. Truth is only found in this right here, in Jesus Christ. And it's our responsibility to teach our children, our responsibility to apply to our lives to make sure that we take this truth Sound, healthy doctrine and not be that group that Paul says is going to come a day when people are going to run away from that. Um, let's pray. God, we love you, God. We thank you for the truth of your word. We pray, God, that we will always be abiding who stands on the side of sound doctrine. That we will fill our ears with sound doctrine, God, so that that sound instruction from the truth of your word it has nothing to do with my truth. It has nothing to do with how I feel. It has nothing to do with how anybody feels. But it is the truth, God. And then I'm going to apply the truth to my life. I take this truth doctrine, apply it to my understanding so I may yield to the influence of the truth, God. And apply that truth thus to shape my will. And now my will is strong. And my will now can choose those correct desires because I've strengthened it with understanding, with the knowledge and the teaching that comes from sound doctrine, God. 
and that my choices will reflect you. I pray, God, that we will be a body of Christ who will always wave the flag of truth, God. In love, but always truth in love, God. And I pray, God, that as uh, the church gets to a point where they don't want to hear sound doctrine, God, then we will stand up and we will relate sound doctrine, God. And even pull some of those who are on the other side back to your word. I pray, God, that you will be with us today. That, God, it won't be just something that I study this doctrine just for myself so I can be puffed up. But I will take what I've learned, God, and hit the streets and tell others about you, God. And let them know about the love. Let them know about the, the blessings. And let them know about their, uh, your wrath, God. And how that they are living in total abomination to you, God. So that they, too, can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So they, too, can partake in what you did for us on Calvary, God. And I will be a light and example to that, God. I pray that you help me, my friends, my associates, my people at work, my family members, that I will be that beacon of light, God, to represent you and to constantly lift you up, to live a life holy and clean with you. We love you, Father. Be with us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.